If you have a Bible, please join me in turning to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And um, we're going to look at a very uh, familiar verse of Scripture for most of you, but very uh, it, it, you don't have to be uh, a seminary-trained uh, person to see the, the truth of this. It's right on the surface. And I'd like for us to just consider this today. Today my topic is going to be Blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance. And it's from this text, 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Holy Spirit, now come speak to us today, and may these words be true to each person that's present in this place. Through Christ we pray. Amen. As it was alluded to earlier in the service, we live in some very interesting times, if you haven't noticed. I'm not going to try to get into technical things, but technically it's called the post-modern era. Ooh, that sounds very uh, interesting. Well, what do, what, why is it the post-modern era? Well, uh, in about the 1600s, um, some people got this really bright idea. They said, you know what, in order to understand this world and to understand our place in this world, we don't really need God to, to make sense of this world. We can get to some really uh, deep understanding of truth and reality and meaning and all of these things just on the basis of human thought alone, if you will, pure reason. And so they started that enterprise. And it didn't take long for this whole enterprise to collapse on itself, exhausted under the weight of its own pride. We now, that modern, if you will, exercise of trying to come to a knowledge of truth without any reference to God, completely failed. It's not the first time in history it's failed, but it, it Greek philosophy, back in the so-called golden age of, of philosophy, crashed on the same rocks and ended up in a place of doubt and emptiness. So at least some people have been honest enough to admit that this experiment, this modern experiment to try to figure out life without God is an utter failure. And so the modern effort to do that failed, so now we are in the postmodern era. So we've given up on the idea of finding any kind of truth, any kind of meaning, any kind of purpose. There's no truth, no beauty, no right, no wrong. What are we left with? Just your opinion versus my opinion. Your uh, likes versus my likes. Your biases and prejudice against my biases and prejudice. That's all you're left with. There's no standard of reality and truth. And of course, these postmodern people say, and we should be skeptical of everything. If anybody says they know the truth, we should be skeptical of it. And we're supposed to be skeptical of everything except what? What they say is true. Can you see how this little man's rebellious exercise in, in war against God with their thoughts is completely self-defeating. It kills itself. It's a suicidal mission. You can't get to truth apart from God. And this has, uh, as we say, consequences. When you have these ideas, 
How many of you know, you act on those ideas. The last century, some people took that really serious and said, okay, we're going to act as if God's not there. We're going to have atheism. And what do we know about the last century? It was the bloodiest, most murderous, vicious century in the history of the world. Ideas have consequences. This kind of thinking gave rise to people like Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot. And in the name of progress, now these these are the smart guys, right? We don't need God. We're going to come to our own truth, which by the way, there is none. But we're going to act like that. And in, in the name of being enlightened, we actually became barbarians. We became very murderous. The Bible has a word for this. It's called foolishness. God will reduce man's rebellious thoughts to utter foolishness. And God actually calls people who engage in it fools. It's not an insult. It's just a fact. When you reject the only source of truth and try to get to it any other way, it just doesn't hold up. It doesn't make sense. Against that backdrop, we read our text today. And it says... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, the Bible comes and says, you're not adrift in in an ocean of meaninglessness and purposelessness. You know things. Everyone in this room knows things. In fact, knows some very important things, some very profound things, because God has revealed it to you. He's revealed it to you in your conscience. He's revealed it in creation. He revealed it in his word. And most uh, poignantly, he revealed the truth in his son, Jesus Christ. The truth made flesh. So we do know things. And because we can know things, today I hope the thing that you walk out of here knowing is that you can have what we refer to as blessed Assurance. Blessed assurance. You can know that you have eternal life. And it's not just wishful thinking. It's not like, I hope I have eternal life. No. The Bible says you can know for sure that you will live forever in God's presence. Now, before I ask, give you the answer to that, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to think deeply about these questions. Let me ask you, have you today, right now, come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain, that's an important word, you know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you would go to heaven? Or would you say, oh, that's something I'm still working on? It's either yes or no, or I don't know. The scripture that we just read comes along with it And it says, you can know that. Now, do you want to know there's a lot of religious traditions who would say, oh, that's very presumptuous for you to ever say that you know you're going to go to heaven. We'll come back to to show you why it is absolutely not presumptuous for you to know for certain that you have eternal life. But first, let me ask you one more question. This is likely the most important question you will ever be asked ever in this life. And what's ironic to me is that some people who are pretty smart and who think deeply about a lot of things, I've asked them this question, 
And it's kind of stumped them. They're like, I've never thought about that. But I think this is the most important question that you could ever be asked because this is where the rubber meets the road. So answer wisely, dear ones. And I want you to remember your answer. Okay? Again, God forbid, but if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and God were to say to you, why should I let you come into my heaven? What would you say? In other words, what does it really take to get into heaven? Some people, I don't believe in heaven, and I certainly don't believe in hell. (laughs) You know, a lot of people out there like that. And I'd say, um, no, you do. Because in your quiet moments, in my quiet moments, even before I was a Christian, I knew there was something wrong with this world, and I looked forward and I craved something better, something more loving, something more good, something more beautiful. And in our secret moments, we do believe in hell. Because why is it in those quiet moments, we also, when we see the injustices, we see the violence, we see the, the murders, we see all of the, the sin all around us, why do we crave that one day God will come and make everything right? And that those who deserve to be punished will be punished. You intuitively know that. Why? Because this world is not all there is. We crave the, the next world. We want heaven, and yes, we want hell, because we want justice. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, it says this, God has put eternity into the heart of man. You know intuitively you are not just made for this world. You are an eternal being. You have an immortal soul. And you know that. Now, a lot of people try to spend a lot of time suppressing that. I know when I was running from God, I would spend a lot of time trying to stay high and drunk and distracted and amused and everything else because I did not want to deal with the truth that I knew in my heart of hearts. So we need to embrace. I am an immortal soul. In fact, I, I'm kind of a, I'm a big bundle of contradictions, aren't I? I'm created in the very image and likeness of God. And therefore I am worthy. And every human being is worthy of dignity and respect because they bear the image of God. And I'm a big sinner too. Capable of some very bad things. It's all true, all at the same time. I'm glorious in one respect, but I'm profoundly fallen in another. And so, how do we deal with that? We're going to come to that in just a moment. So what does the Bible say to you then? Can you really know, can you have blessed assurance before you walk out of here today? And I'm going to give you five truths. And Ben, I want you to pay careful attention. At the last church I preached this at, I said, I'm going to preach to the kids and maybe the adults will get a little bit out of it. And when I went back to that church a month later, the kids could give me all five things I'm about to teach you. So maybe you adults might be able to remember some of it too. But I know Ben will remember these things. And these are the five things you need to know so that when you walk out of here today, you'll know one way or the other whether you have blessed assurance or not. By the way, this is not my five things. This is something that another Presbyterian minister, my dear friend, 
Dr. D. James Kennedy came up with. This may be something you're familiar with. This is a system of presenting the gospel that is in every nation of the world, in every territory of the world, and literally millions of people every year come to faith in Jesus Christ because they understand these five things. And by the way, these five truths are on your left hand. Everybody hold up your left hand. We're going back to Sunday school. Okay? Hold up your left hand. All right, now stick out your thumb. All right, the very first thing you need to know is the doctrine of grace. And grace is what? It's a free ride, baby. Remember when we, we I don't see much of this happening anymore. When I was growing up, if you wanted to get somewhere, we'd say, we're going to go what? We're going to go thumb a ride, right? We're going to go thumb a ride. So the first doctrine that you need to know, which by the way is a scandal to most people, when you talk to them, and you say that heaven is an absolutely free gift. They don't believe you. But that's what the Bible says. In Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I have a little business that I run on the 1st and 15th of the month. Somehow my employees tend to want to get close to me. Why? It's payday, right? And uh, when I write them a check, they don't feel like I'm giving them a gift. Because I'm not. Because I'm giving them their wage. They've worked for me for two weeks. It's time for them to get paid, and I write them a check. Well, what does the Bible say here? The wages, the paycheck for my sin is death. Eternal death. Hell. You, everyone, I want what I deserve. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. You want grace. So, the, But the gift, the grace, the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. So because it's a gift, it cannot, and you need to remember this, gifts by definition it cannot be earned like a wage or even deserved if it's truly a gift. What does it say in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace, that's, a, that's our same word, gift, by a gift, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, so even the faith is a gift. It is the gift of God, and I love this, not a matter of works. Why? So that no one can boast. Imagine if you had a, a, a good friend or someone you just loved and you decided I'm going to do something generous and you go out and you get a really nice Rolex watch no, I mean the nice one the platinum one with the diamonds in it and everything you know big platinum watch and let's say uh, someone came up to you and said look I want you to have this gift and you took the watch and you were like oh my gosh this is this is overwhelming you know $20,000 watch And in the awkwardness of the moment, you reached into your wallet and you pulled out a $20 bill and said, thank you. If that person took the $20 bill, is the watch still technically a gift? Not really. You just got a screaming deal on a Rolex watch, right? A gift to be a gift has to be absolutely free. No exchange. You don't deserve it. You've never earned it. It is the free gift of God. And that's the good thing about heaven. Everybody who gets to heaven is going to realize that they're there 
by God's free grace. By the way, when you see the descriptions in of heaven, what do you see people doing? Falling on their face, throwing down their crowns. They're just overwhelmed at God's great love and mercy towards them. I don't see anybody ever portrayed in heaven as patting themselves on the back. Isn't God lucky that I made it to heaven? Isn't God lucky to have me here? Nobody says that in heaven. That's never been said and never will be said. In fact, who wants to go to heaven with a bunch of self-righteous braggarts? Right? That would turn heaven into hell. I don't want to go to heaven if I'm going to have to put up with that foolishness. Heaven is an absolutely free gift. It cannot be earned or deserved. All right, left hand again. Give me your index finger. Shake that finger. Man, he's a sinner, and you know it, right? Grace, heaven is a free gift. Man, he is a sinner. We know that. And by the way, I I preached this once and I had a woman say, Amen. When I say this, man is a sinner, I mean that generically. All of mankind, okay, ladies? Uh, You're sinners too. Man is a sinner. All, Romans 6.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's important, and it was interesting that we spent a little bit of time in this in the service earlier. What is sin? Sin is kind of a not necessarily understood correctly. Sin, the shortest definition is, uh, and again in 1 John, sin is lawlessness. Sin is basically not conforming to God's laws. Well, what laws? Well, we could talk about the 613 laws in the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. Or we could talk about the 1,050, did you know that? Commandments in the New Testament. Ooh, I thought the New Testament was all about love and grace. There's no, no, there's commandments in the New Testament. Um, I dare say none of us have kept them all. In fact, I believe we've broken a lot of them a lot of times. So let's hypothetically think of something. Let's say we met someone today who's like Mr. Super Christian, all right? No more than three times a day. Did he say anything, or do anything, or think anything that was contrary to God's law? And let's say no more than three times a day did he fail to do everything that God commands. Remember, we talked about sins that we commit, we break them, we commit a sin against them, and then there's the sins of omission, the things we should have done that we didn't do. I should have been more patient. I should have been more kind. I should have been more loving. Kind of a a big responsibility. So let's say we found Mr. Super person. They've only done it three times a day. What's that over the course of a year? Three times 365. That's well over a thousand cents. What if he lives the normal lifespan? He lives to be 60, 70 years old. What would happen to you if you went to a human judge and you showed up with 70,000 violations on your record? What would happen to you? What should happen to you? I'm here to say none of us sin just three times a day. We sin many times before God. Just for 
theory's sake, let's say that this book is the book of my life. We'll just pretend. And that in it is every word I ever said, what Jesus talked about, even the idle words that we say that we're going to be held accountable for, every deed I ever did, every thought that ever crossed my mind. I'm convinced of one thing. If God were to judge me according to the book of my life, you know he is, right? Many times in the scripture says the books are going to be open. What, everything we said, everything we thought, everything we did, it's all going to come to life. If God were to judge me according to the book of my life, I know I'm sunk. What about you? Well, you say, there is one, one way you could, I guess, make it to heaven on your own. Jesus refers to it in Matthew 5.48. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> Anybody here uh, want to take up that challenge? No. It would be like you or me. Let's say we, do, for some silly reason, we're going to have a contest. We're going to we're going to swim from Los Angeles to Honolulu, okay? And we get to the shoreline and we're all ready to go. And it's only what uh, two thousand five hundred and fifty-eight miles. Ready, set, go. Um, I might make it a hundred yards. You might make it ten miles. But none of us are going to be able to swim all the way there. So it is with you and any of your efforts to try to make it to heaven. They're all going to fall painfully short. So remember, grace, heaven is a free gift. Man is a sinner, can't save himself. What's the middle finger? The middle finger is the largest finger, and it represents who God is. He's the big guy, if you will. And what do we know about God? Well, one of the great things we know about God is in 1 John 4, 8. Probably you've heard this verse a hundred times. You may not know where it is, but the Bible clearly says God is love. Doesn't that feel good? Isn't it nice to be reminded of that? God is love. It's very comforting. He is the source of love. And he has a perfect holy love for his people. So thank God for his love. But the same Bible that says God is love also says in Exodus 34, 7, he will by no means clear the guilty. Hmm. We all know we haven't lived up to even our own standards, our own standards of right and wrong, much less God's. I love this verse. It was one of Dr. Kennedy's favorite verses. He always shared this verse whenever he was witnessing. It comes out of Habakkuk 1.13. Speaking of the nature and character and, and purity of God, it says, of God, Habakkuk 1.13, you, God, are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot even look at wrong. Is that the God that we're worshiping here today? This triune, holy God. Yes, He is a God of love, but He is so pure that He can't even countenance. He can't even look upon us in our sin. And we've all sinned. Not three times a day, a thousand times a year, but thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And we've sinned against God. And He's infinitely holy. And whether you like it or not, 
When you sin against an infinitely holy God, guess what that makes you? Infinitely guilty. Because the object of which you've sinned against is of infinite worth. And you could live a million lifetimes and try to be a good boy for a million lifetimes and never be able to pay back your debt of sin. And neither can I. So here's the problem. God loves me, but in order for Him to remain just and to be true to His holiness, somehow He has to deal with your sin. And God solved the problem. Here's our fourth finger. In the person of Jesus Christ. And what's on the, if you're married, what's on the fourth finger? It's the ring. It's the sign of what? Covenant love. Covenant love. But before we talk just about that, let me just ask you one question, because Jesus asked this question quite a bit as he was walking around. Before we can talk about what Jesus did, you've got to know who he is, and he would often ask, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you today? Jesus, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, he was a, a prophet, he's a, a teacher, he's a, he's a good guy, uh, he's a, a, you know, the... the best moral teacher that we've ever heard. It's not enough. The Bible says that he is God and man at the same time. He is God in the flesh. That's uh, That was very offensive, by the way. That's uh, what a lot of people wanted to kill him regarding. Because of these audacious claims that he was, in fact, God in the flesh. And when you think about it, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to swallow. you telling me the, the God that spoke this universe into existence, who sustains and upholds all things, that, that is almighty God has somehow come into a human form? Yeah, absolutely. That's what the Bible teaches. And if, if you think Jesus is anything less than that, then you're not worshiping the true Christ. His miracles, His teachings, His own assertion that He is God and that He was from the Father. By the way, Jesus said He was the one who's going to come to judge the world. That's a divine prerogative, right? Only God gets to judge. Jesus says, I'm that person. Jesus is the one, remember, He offended everybody. He says, He, for, he started forgiving people's sins. Who are you to think you can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus said, no, I get to forgive sins because I am God. So you don't get to re- you don't get to settle with Jesus. Oh, he was just a good guy, a good teacher. He's either the, the divine savior or he was some kind of a demented madman. You, it's one or the other. And those of us by grace through faith know exactly who he is. He is the Son of God. So what did He do? 1 Peter 2.4 gives us the simple summary. He, Jesus Christ Himself, bore our sins in His body on the cross. That's what Jesus ultimately came to do. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and rose from the dead proving that he had defeated hell in the grave. And he, because he was fully man, he could be your substitute. Because he was fully God, 
His blood has the infinite power to forgive a thousand worlds of sinners. I love what the Bible says then, summarizing it. 700 years before Jesus ever showed up, Isaiah the prophet looked forward by the Holy Spirit and saw what was going to happen. And Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 is probably the greatest Old Testament summary of the gospel. And it talks about you and me and Christ. He says, all we like sheep, by the way, sheep aren't that bright, right? (laughs) All we like sheep have what? Gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. We want to be in charge. We want to do our own thing. And by the way, how far did that get us, right? So let's put it this way. So all we are like sheep. We've all gone astray. We've each turned to our own separate way. Remember our sin? And our sin has separated us from God. But the rest of the verse says this. But the Lord, that is God the Father, laid upon Jesus the sin of us all. So my sin, which God rightly and justly hates, He poured out on Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, He cried out with a loud voice, an interesting word. In the Greek, it's tetelestai. What does it mean? It's a fancy word in some sense, but a common word. It, it was a commerce word. I know, and some of you are old, old enough to remember this. Remember, uh, we used to go and we would pay for something with, a, with something called cash. <laughs> remember that? We actually paid money for stuff. And when you paid money for stuff, they had this, this, they'd get out this stamp and they'd get red ink on it and they would stamp it on the, the invoice or the bill and they would date it and initial it. And what did it say in red? Paid in full. That's exactly what Jesus said. The last thing he said on the cross to tell us die, it is finished. My sin debt has been paid, how much? In full. By the red crimson blood of Jesus Christ. So then, here's the question. If Jesus has paid the price for sin, why isn't everybody forgiven? Why isn't everybody going to heaven? Left hand again. All you need is a little faith. A little faith. Okay, what is faith? Let me explain what it's not. Faith is not just believing in Jesus. Like, for instance, I believe in Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar lived. Jesus, Julius Caesar had an impact on history. But I'm not trusting Julius Caesar to do anything for me today. I don't know if you are. Uh, I believe in Abraham Lincoln. He lived historical figure. A lot of people, when you say, do you believe in Jesus? That's what they say. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. They believe he lived and maybe even a a great guy and had a big impact on culture or history, but they're not trusting him for anything today. It's not just even knowing true things about God. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I believe that Jesus is even the Son of God. How many of you know when Jesus was going around ministering, 
Even the demons knew he was the son of God. Are there going to be any demons in heaven? No. So just knowing that Jesus lived, and maybe even knowing true things about Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God, doesn't save you. Not at all. So what is faith? What is saving faith? The faith that's going to give you blessed assurance. It's trusting, and every word of this counts, trusting in Jesus Christ alone. Say that word, alone. (laughs) Alone for eternal life. That's so critical. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, this Philippian jailer turned (laughs) in a moment of despair and asked the apostles, what must I do to be saved? How many of you want to hear the answer to that question? Here is the simple answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's too simple, preacher. Well, it's not. It's, you gotta understand what that means. It's, it's that simple in, in that respect. So what does it mean to, to believe and to trust? Remember, it's not just believing Jesus Christ lived, not even just believing that He's the Son of God. But it's putting your trust and your reliance on Him. Now remember a few minutes ago I asked you a question. If you were to stand before God and He were to ask you, why should I let you come into my heaven? I told you, most important question you could ever ask. I've asked that question to literally hundreds of people. And let me tell you what about 70 plus percent say. Well, the reason God's going to let me come into heaven is because I'm a good person. I don't rob 7-Elevens. I didn't kick the dog today. I'm, you know, I keep the golden rule. I, 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 I. Who are they trusting in? I. They're trusting in themselves. You have to be careful. Or... They kind of they kind of get it weird. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I so it's it's Jesus plus what I do. No, it's Jesus Christ alone saves. He saves to the uttermost all who draw near to Him through Christ. Someone uh, tell, told the story, and I think it's illustrative of this. Uh, back in the old days, before TV and everything, uh, there wasn't a lot of entertainment. So one of, you know, you'd have these traveling sideshows. So one of them was a typewrote artist. And so he shows up to this dusty little western town, and there's this big uh, ditch, uh, not ca- ditch, but canyon on the outskirts of town, and he was able to put a, a tightrope across it and get everybody to come out of the town. And so everybody's out there, and he says, How many of you believe that I can make it all the way across and all the way back. They started chanting, we believe, we believe. Okay, great. What's he do? He walks all the way across, comes all the way back, everyone's clapping. And he says, how many of you believe I can put on a blindfold, go all the way over and all the way back? They start chanting, we believe, we believe. So what does he do? He goes all the way over, all the way back. Then he gets goes one more step. How many of you believe I can go across blindfolded with a wheelbarrow? 
We believe, we believe. So what does he do? He goes all the way over and all the way across, comes back. Then he asks the question, how many of you believe I can put someone in this wheelbarrow, go all the way over and all the way back? We believe, we believe. Then he says, do I have any volunteers? (laughs) Crickets, right? (laughs) Now that's a little humorous. But it's a very powerful picture. The Christian says, I can't make it over and back on my own. But guess what? I know someone who has. Jesus Christ died. And on the third day, he came back. He went over and came back. And now he's saying, do you trust me? Do you believe you can get in the wheelbarrow and Jesus can take you across to the other side? And that's what the Christian faith is. Do you have enough willingness to put your trust in Jesus alone to get you to heaven and eternal life? That's what the gospel is. No amount of good works will ever get you there. John 6.47, Jesus said it this way. Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever believes, that is, trusts in and relies on me, has everlasting life. So Jesus came into this world to live the life you should have lived in obedience to the Father. And then if you put your faith in Him because He did it perfectly, He gives you the credit for His perfect life. That's God's grace. He died the death you deserve to die on the cross and and bore the infinite wrath of God. And His perfect sacrifice and His shed blood erases your debt of sin to the very last penny. The Father approved of Christ's obedience by raising Him from the dead. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father and He's sending the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. Let me ask you today, do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that you need God's righteousness? Do you know that there's a day of judgment coming in which you will have to account before God? If you know that, that's because the Holy Spirit's revealing that to you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings the merits of Jesus Christ. If you will say yes to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life, you can have blessed assurance today. Let me ask you, do you have it? Are you trusting in Christ alone? Or are you outside of Christ and lost and condemned? As I said, some will say it's presumptuous to say, how how would I dare say that I'm a Christian? Well, if you're thinking that way, it's because you're still thinking about self-righteous religion. Every other religion in the world says, try hard and maybe you're going to make it. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And Christ comes along and says, it is done. Everything you need to be right with God, God has provided in His Son for you. That's good news. Even the Presbyterians can say a hearty amen to that. So, have you by God's grace put your faith in Christ? I think it's presumptuous for anybody to say they can be saved apart from Christ. And, it, and when we say we can, 
It's as if we, we rip Jesus off the cross and say, we don't need what God has provided. I'm good on my own. To me, that's presumptuous. We need a Savior. And everybody in this room knows it. And we have a mighty Savior for our sins. So today, would you, have you, put your faith in Christ? Hear His promise. And to as many, it says in John 1.16, as received Him, He gave them the power to become the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this very simple message that we are saved by grace, that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves, that You are a loving God and yet You are just and must punish our sin. And God, that You have put Your... uh, You have made provision for our forgiveness in bringing Your Son into the world to die for sinners. And Lord, now we pray that You would give us the grace to simply believe the greatest message this world has ever heard. And Lord, if we're here as Christians, Lord, encourage us today to be confident in this simple message, this message which You have used to save millions and millions and millions of people. And Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, that this would be the day that you make them alive. Come Holy Spirit and open eyes, transform hearts, bring people to yourself, we pray through Christ. Amen.